Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's May Day, traditionally the celebration of the working man and woman. Nothing to do with Theresa May, obviously, but rather than basking in the joy of how amazing our political masters have been at creating more equality in society, we are, I'm afraid, still stuck in the same echo chambers of despair. This morning, we are waking up to the same old problems with the two main parties. The Labour Party are being accused once more of not dealing properly with anti-Semitism, despite the fact that they say they do it all the time. The Tories, meanwhile, are reported to be on the verge of caving in over Brexit, but they don't want to tell anyone yet because of the elections this month. And, of course, I must apologise for bringing up the B word today. We've lived quite happily without it for a couple of weeks now since we left the tent of shame last month. However, uh, here is where we are. No deal is better than a bad deal has now been replaced by the Prime Minister and this catchy new slogan. An unpalatable outcome is better than a disastrous one. Not very catchy, really, is it? Great. Uh, Labour can't even decide whether they want a second referendum either. Tom Watson and Jeremy Corbyn seem to be completely and utterly at odds about all sorts of things, and they don't know where to go next. Meanwhile, uh, Jeremy Corbyn has tweeted out this morning uh, that uh, climate change is the biggest threat facing the world. He's obviously swallowed the Kool-Aid as well. 03444991000. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest from Venezuela and we'll be finding out why the Parliamentary Climate Change Committee appears to have swallowed the same uh, medicine that Extinction Rebellion have been taking and ordered a ban on all petrol and diesel cars within 10 years, which is, of course, completely and utterly impossible to do. 03444991000. Plus, we'll be asking why the fish in our rivers are all full of cocaine. Can't imagine how that happened. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So there's a whole host of stories this morning on the front pages about Brexit, about Labour, about the Tories. Basically, we know uh, that there are some local elections coming up on Thursday. As I've explained to you before, we have certain rules around the broadcasting uh, scenario that we can say, uh, things that we can't say. We also know, uh, as far as we're aware, that there will be more uh, European elections later on this month, unless they get called off because we get a deal to leave the European Union, which seems pretty unlikely. Uh, front page of The Guardian, it says, Anger as Corbyn faces down calls for 
Labour to back a new Brexit vote because yesterday was the day that they were supposed to decide on whether to back a second referendum or not. Apparently they couldn't decide, uh, so they're going to let us know. Uh, sometime before the elections in Europe, presumably. Uh, they have no manifesto. The Tories have no manifesto either. Nobody seems to know what is going on. Uh, front page of the Daily Telegraph, by contrast, May on the verge of caving in to Labour, which is basically a story about how uh, she wants the talks between Labour and the Conservative Party over Brexit to come to an end, uh, and she's basically saying that she's ready, more or less, to give in to a customs union. Let's talk to Mr John Rental, who is here from The Independent, uh, before we do anything else. John, a very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. Well, here we are again, uh, not much further on from where we were the last time I said here we are again, and it would seem <laughs> as though um, the, ta- the Tories and the Labour Party don't know what to do. They've got an election well, coming up, and they can't even come up with a manifesto that they all agree on. No, well, I mean, it, it's a classic fudge, isn't it? And, and that's, how you get, that's how you get through in politics. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want to offend either wing of his party. I mean, obviously, the Remain... The Remain wing is bigger than the Leave wing, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to upset Leave voters. Um, uh, you know, just just a couple of days before the local elections, he needs he needs Leave voters to turn out for Labour councils uh, in southern cities and and indeed in southern cities. Is, in it, London, is it all I mean, a bit too late for that? I mean, are the main parties now going to suffer massively over the course of the next few days, but also later on uh, if the European elections take place as well? No, well, I don't think Labour's going to suffer terribly because, you know, Remain voters will be perfectly happy if Brexit's not going to happen. Yeah. It's the Conservative Party that's in meltdown. Right. Uh, I mean, that's the one, you know, the one huge story behind all the all the stories you've just been talking about is that the Conservative Party is toast if, uh, if it doesn't deliver Brexit. <laughs> I don't think it is going to deliver no. Brexit. Well, I mean, um, judging by the piece in the Telegraph this morning, um, whatever the Brexit is that does get delivered, if it's delivered by Theresa May, will be so weak and, and watered down that it won't be Brexit I, at I all. Agree with, no, I don't agree with that, Mike. I mean, if they, if they, do, if they do agree that, that would be fine. Um, but, but, the, but, that, but that's why Jeremy Corbyn won't agree to it, because, I mean, that would save Theresa May's bacon completely. I mean, if she can get us out of the EU, it almost doesn't... I mean, you know, there, there'll be a lot of, uh, you know, these Brexiteers against Brexit the sort of Nigel Farage type, yeah. who don't really want to leave. They just want to stay and complain. Um, you know, they'll be upset. But, I mean, if if we leave, then, you know, most voters, most reasonable-minded voters, I think, will think that's job done. You know, that's what we voted for in the referendum, even if they personally didn't agree with it. Um, but that's not going to happen, because that would get Theresa May out of the great big hole that she is still digging herself into. But most reasonably minded... It's not going to help her. But most reasonably minded voters, um, which in which you may include me and you in, are basically so <laughs> fed up with this whole process that more or less anything would do at this point. And a lot of people are uh, quite happy to go along with whatever is done. But that's not yes, how we... Not but, that's happen, not, but that's not how we got here, is it? No, but also, it's you know, that will only happen if Jeremy Corbyn agrees some kind of deal with, with Theresa May, which mm. he won't do because that would help her. Right. Uh, and, but it also, even if he did, it's not going to work because she would lose more Tory votes in the House of Commons than she would gain Labour ones. Mm. So it wouldn't, she wouldn't... It, 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 the, prob- the problem is Brexit is completely stuck now. There, there is no form of Brexit that can get, can get through the House of Commons uh, and therefore the Conservative Party is uh, completely... Well, I mean... It, I don't know about finished, but it's certainly out. It's I mean, you're, out, you're down and out for a generation. You're a great man of words, John. I'm surprised that you haven't yet come up with a new sort of adjective or a new verb to describe what the Tory party has done to itself that we can use in future whenever anything goes horribly wrong. 
Well, in a way, it didn't do it to, it, it to itself. I mean, I think, you know, Theresa May, I mean, she's going to get all the blame, which is completely unfair. Um, I mean, it's the fact that Labour MPs won't vote for what they say they, what they, say they want. Uh, and the fact that a small proportion of Tory MPs are, um, rem, you know, remain, they're sort of... Uh, they're sort of modern-day Remainers. They're people who say they desperately want to leave the EU, but they vote against the only way of actually doing that. Mm. Now, there's an interesting uh, sort of rumour going around, which I don't believe at all, and because I don't believe it, I'm going to put it to you, uh, which is that <laughs> Keir Starmer, supposedly, according to some inside the Labour uh, tent, is thinking about leaving uh, to join the independent group. I can't imagine why he would do that, because presumably he would no. quite happily stay where he is uh, on the side of remaining in the Labour Party and remaining in Europe. I, I, I think that's unlikely. I mean, you know, people are human beings and they do they do strange things. But I mean, if you look at the if you look at the betting odds, Keir Starmer, I think, is second favourite after Emily Thornberry to be the next leader of the Labour Party. Right. Uh, and I think he's playing quite a clever game. I think he is, you know, in many ways, he's the hero of the Labour Party membership who are, you know, overwhelmingly Remainers. Uh, they want to see the party committing itself to a second referendum and they uh, they think that he's fighting he's fighting for that and yeah. uh, so i think he's he's doing quite well in internal labor party politics i don't see why he should give that up and uh, go and join a bunch who are going to get wiped out under the first past the post electoral system. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that both Labour and Conservative parties are kind of at a crossroads. And you were saying that you don't think Labour are going to be hit quite as hard as the Tories are. You're probably right about that. But, you know, with with every other one of the smaller parties, like the, the Brexit party, like UKIP, like Change UK, uh, and even the Lib Dems, I mean, everybody knows what they stand for when it comes to Europe. But with Labour yeah. and the Tories, we don't. <laughs> no, those are fantastic. Uh, you got poll yesterday, which uh, showed that you know there's there's a lot of a lot of voters who think that the Tories are a are an anti-Brexit party. They think the Tories are a Remain party. I mean, I suspect there's a lot of uh, angry leavers in there who are saying you know saying they've been betrayed and that therefore the the Tories are a Remainer uh, party now. Mm. Um, but I mean, there there is also doubt about you know there's sort of lack of clarity. There's a lot of people saying they don't know whether Labour is pro Brexit or anti Brexit. Um, and most of them are in the, suits... the shadow cabinet. <laughs> that suits, but that suits Jeremy Corbyn down to the ground because it means he can Hoover up. Uh, he can Hoover up votes, votes from both sides. I mean, he's you know Labour's not doing great in the opinion polls at the moment. But I mean, if the if the Conservative Party is going to just implode totally, uh, I you know. The Labour Party is not going to do that. It's going to do okay, uh, and I think that's the that's the route to number ten for Jeremy. Mm. I mean, interesting couple of tweets that I want to draw your attention to. This one, I'm sure you've already seen him. Alistair Campbell. Uh, this will take you back. Twenty two years ago today, Labour won a landslide, which led to enormous change for the better. Today, neck and neck with the worst Prime Minister and the most divided cabinet in living memory, failing to lead on the biggest issue facing the country, and wracked <laughs> by anti-Semitism, things can only get better. Question mark. <laughs> I mean, it does seem yeah, no, a very long time ago, that, doesn't it? It does, it does. But I think Alice is a little bit behind on the on the opinion polling front. I mean, the, the Conservative Party's uh, ratings are in free fall at the moment. I mean, mm. he hasn't quite caught up with the past few days. I mean, we... Oops. We're just losing you there, John. Sorry, just oh, lo- sorry, I just lost you there. Can you say that again? Right. I mean, we've seen a couple of polls recently putting the Tories at 23 percent. Yeah, uh, and for, for, and that's for the House of Commons. That's not for for Europe. I mean, right. Europe—they're down in, in in the teens. Yeah, for the for the European election. 
I mean, the labour, you know, the labour rating's not great, but I mean, it's around thirty percent. I mean, they're 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 doing they're doing okay, and they can just watch the the, the Tories fall. But you know, I mean, Alistair Campbell's quite right. I mean, you know, twenty two years ago, uh, things were were rather different, and you've got to remember that the uh, the, the only person who's won a working majority uh, for the for the Labour Party since nineteen sixty six is uh, is Tony Blair. Well, isn't it interesting as well um, that, that here we are sort of at this crossroads of um, of Parliament looking like a busted flush overall because they can't seem to agree on anything and they can't seem to get anything really done. We learned the other day that, that Theresa May is going to just basically sort of fill the place up with meaningless legislation, which some might say that's what she's been doing for a while. Um, you know, to, in order not to have to, to, to close Parliament session down and in order to stay in, in power so that she's here when Donald Trump arrives. I mean, it all looks terribly, terribly lame. And meanwhile, um, all these politicians have worked out that one subject that everybody might make them more popular about is climate change. Jeremy Corbyn this morning saying May Day is is today's uh, uh, most important day uh, for working class communities, but there's no bigger threat than climate change. I mean, you well, know, it's yeah, quite remarkable. Is one of those, no, but it's one of those things that everybody agrees with until they have to pay for it. Yes. I think that's, uh, that's, you know, that's of, the, the limits of, uh, of the appeal of, uh, of banging on about climate change will be reached quite quite quickly. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, Jeremy. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's a bit. It's a bit difficult for him to portray himself as some kind of green avenger who's always banged on about these things. He's never cared about climate change. He's always been a sort of, you know, he's always been a sort of backward-looking industrial proletariat politician who, right. you know, has this idealised vision of the of, of the working class. I mean, you've got to remember. I mean, one, at one point, he was even suggesting um, reopening coal mines because that was. You know, that well, that's that's still on the labour. That's still on the labour agenda. They're going to open another common. Even even as Rebecca Long Bailey was banging on about climate change yesterday, um, <laughs> you know, I sort of asked somebody on Twitter, "Does she know they're opening a coal mine or two? You know, it's <laughs> remarkable. In Cumbria, yeah, yes, absolutely. The local local labour council in Cumbria has has approved it. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's going to have some difficulty portraying himself as some kind of green warrior, but. Uh, uh, you know, he he has proved to be quite a good opportunistic politician. I mean, never mind the straight talking on his politics. He's just quite good at the old, uh, at the older kind. Yeah, no, he is. He's not doing a bad job at all in that sense. But again, he doesn't have to do much because he just has to sort of sit around and wait right. for the next thing to go horribly wrong. Exactly. I mean, I think that is his that is his strategy for. Uh, for, for the next three years, and you know, I, I mean, at the rate the Tories are going, I I can't see how he can be stopped from getting into number ten. No, I mean, you can't see them recovering at any point here, can you? No, not not for not for years and years and years. I think if if I mean, the failure to deliver Brexit, even if it's not her fault, it's gonna it's gonna be hung around the Tories' necks for uh, for at least a decade, mm. and uh, I do think they're um, I do think they're done for. Yeah, it really is quite extraordinary. And even the, the, the kind of the anti-Semitism stuff that still doesn't go away, we've got another another story sort of rearing its ugly head this morning uh, about Indeed. Hobson. Um, uh, apparently, uh, you, you know, you can still argue about, you know, ancient philosophers who have long since died <laughs> and apparently attribute blame to people who are alive now for agreeing with some of the things that he said. I mean, it's like playtime politics, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, if you're going to write the foreword to a book like that, then you are sort of, claiming that you've read it uh, and not to have noticed uh, that bit about uh, about the Jews controlling uh, controlling the world's uh, finances um, is a bit of an oversight on, on Jeremy Corbyn's part. But I mean, I just I do think, I mean, I, I care about that kind of stuff. 
deeply. But I mean, uh, I, I do wonder whether it has much purchase uh, with the, with the wider public. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I also wonder that you know you say not to have noticed. You wonder whether that's not the point here. The point may be some somewhere completely different, and the point may be that he did notice, and that's why he's done it. Well, he did notice, and he didn't care, or didn't, yeah. uh, you know, wasn't. wasn't well, no, he did notice, and thought, yeah, well, well, this will this will help me in certain parts of the world. Well, no, I don't. I, th- I think that's a bit. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn wants to appear to be anti-Semitic. <laughs> I think that. Is well, a... people keep saying that, and he keeps saying he's not, but the the, the evidence would suggest otherwise. Well, yeah, I mean, for, for someone who is an anti-racist, he does seem to have an awfully unfortunate habit. It's of, like me standing uh, in a pub with a, pint of, with a pint of beer <laughs> saying, I've given up drinking. You know, everybody knows I've given up drinking. And then I take a sip from the beer. You know, I mean, that's what he's, effectively, that's what he's doing. Yeah, no, that's right. And it, and it, and it certainly, you know, it certainly offends a, you know, a large section of uh, political activists, uh, especially in the Labour Party. It's driven a lot of people out of the Labour Party. I personally could never vote for a Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn, mm. for, I mean, for that reason, among others. Yeah. But I mean, uh, but on the other hand, you know, you've got to remember, you know, a lot of that stuff was around even in, in, in 2017. Sure. It, it just doesn't bother people. I mean, they voted they voted Labour because it had a sort of broad-based sort of social democratic manifesto that people quite liked. Right. And so, and so sort of in summary, John, is it possible, though, that the, 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 the sort of the... The, the, the problems within the Labour Party are seen to be less bad than the ones in the Tory party just because they're not in government and just because there's yeah. not an actual general election going on because maybe they would be more highlightable then. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that is a very simple uh, fact about politics is that, you know, if, if stuff goes wrong, it's the government that gets the blame. Mm. And so, you know, if, if we don't leave the EU, and I don't think we will, um, then it's, got, it's the government that's going to get the blame, even though Labour MPs happily voted against it every time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's going to be Theresa May and the government. I mean, it was the government, you know, it, on, on that 20, 2016 uh, ballot paper in the referendum, it said the government will uh, will implement what you decide, or words to that effect. Mm. I can't remember the exact formal words, but I mean, it said the government will do it. And so whoever is in government, takes the rap for not doing it if, yeah. it if it doesn't happen. Exactly right. Well, it's a, a, a massive shambles, that's for sure. It doesn't seem to be getting any easier or any better. I don't know when we're going to be back on College Green. That's also a metaphor because apparently that's kind of a busted flush at the moment. They're trying to regrass it or something. Uh, so we'll maybe see you down in the tent of shame uh, sometime before July. I look forward to it. Thank you very much indeed. John Rental there, Chief Political Commentator from The Independent. He's right, of course. You know, the Tories are going to take a terrible tonking. The Labour Party are not doing brilliantly either. Everybody knows what all the other main parties, or the smaller parties rather, are standing for. But nobody knows what Labour and Tories mean anymore, do they? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you had said to me that a bunch of sort of squatters and grubby-looking youngsters on holiday from their public schools had decided uh, to rule the country and had decided to influence, to such an extent, the leader of the opposition and, indeed, some members of the government uh, to do whatever it was that they said that we should do, I would have said, don't be ridiculous, you've obviously woken up in some kind of parallel universe. But that is where we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are now being told what to do uh, by a bunch of grubby, slightly unwashed, rather upper-middle-class kids who've decided that climate change is the most important thing uh, that we have to solve in our lifetimes. Let's talk to Edmund King, President of the AA. Edmund, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, I'm terribly sorry to get you wound up about this, but I'm hoping that you will get wound up about this because this is getting out of hand now. I mean, it's one thing uh, to occupy Waterloo Bridge for a week 
week or more. One thing to glue yourself to parts of trains. One thing to, you know, glue your breasts to the road, which is what somebody did apparently uh, over the uh, weekend before last. But, you know, to to now have a parliamentary committee saying, let's move up the date by which we stop driving diesel and petrol cars. This is now enough. Well, indeed, we we talk to real people about this and um, we survey 20,000 people every month about cars, the Mm. environment, their next cars. And it's really interesting, Mike, because half of them say that they couldn't switch to an EV until you get at least... 250 mile range mm. you know that's the minimum yeah um another third say that the electric vehicle should cost the same or less than the equivalent petrol or diesel and obviously currently that is not the case right and then again another third say you know they wouldn't consider switching until there are enough charging points so what what this basically shows is is that there is so much more that needs to be done before everyone can switch to electric vehicles. I mean, even the new models coming out, um, the supply is fairly limited. So, you know, they, they kind of sell out pretty soon. So it would take ages. At the moment, um, there's about 190,000 uh, plug-in electric vehicles mm. out, of, out of a kind of car park of 36 million. Right. So to actually say that all cars should be electric or possibly hydrogen fuel cell by, by 2030 is, is just some arbitrary date. And quite frankly, it's in cloud cuckoo land. But this, is what, so, I find, yeah. but this is what I find extraordinary, because this is not coming from Extinction Rebellion uh, or from some sort of disparate group of people from a boat in the middle of the Atlantic supporting Greenpeace. This is coming from inside the Houses of Parliament. Well, indeed, there seem to be all sorts of groups kind of lining up and bringing this date forward. So so this is the Climate Change Committee of talked about 2030. There are various other groups. I mean, the government has already set what we see as a challenging target of 2040. And right. what, what that is saying is that by 2040, all new cars or the vast majority of new cars sold should be zero emissions. So that would mean electric, hydrogen fuel cell, etc. Mm. And even that in, it, in itself is very, very challenging. You know, Im- imagine currently to, to charge an electric vehicle, it varies whether you've got a rapid charger or not. Yeah. But, you know, say it, 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 it's anything between uh, 30 minutes and four or five hours. Yeah. Whereas filling up a car with petrol or diesel is about four minutes. Yeah. So... You know, there is no way that garages can cope with electric vehicles. The majority of people will have to charge at home. And obviously, that's a problem in urban areas where people live in flats because there might not be enough charging points. So first and foremost, you need that infrastructure. You need charging at home. You need charging at offices. You will need charging on more charging on motorway service stations, supermarkets, etc. We are not going to be there by 2030. There is no way that could happen. So I do feel that this is kind of tokenism. Who, who, Who can bring up you know, the nearest date to mm. kind of win, win environmental also, prizes. Also, I mean, if we're doing this on our own, uh, sort of unilaterally, if you like, um, what do we do about lorries? What do we do about mm. taxis? What do we do about trucks coming in from overseas? I mean, you know, how does that work? Well, it, well, indeed. I mean, the, the fastest growing area of traffic is in light vans and deliveries, right. so, so the smaller trucks. 
And yet, that is the sector that is slowest to adapt to electric vehicles. Mm. You know, currently, even at the AA, you know, we, we've looked at, at um, uh, electric vehicles for our patrol force. Yeah. But none of them currently um, have the capacity, have the, the weight. They can't carry the weight that we need to carry to, to repair vehicles. And the, the irony there, Mike, is that there are some roads in Islington and Camden where non-electric or zero-emission vehicles are, are banned or you have to charge. And last year, in those particular streets, we had to deal with 110 breakdowns. Right. But we're not allowed to go there because we haven't got an electric vehicle, and therefore the congestion is worse, therefore the air quality is worse, because we can't shift those cars to keep traffic going. So, yeah, I, I really do feel that, that we need a planned approach to this, not a knee-jerk approach mm. that, that, you know, is, is just putting environmental tokenism up there well that's exactly right because in the end if you want to completely you know revolutionize transport in this country revolutionize the way that we uh, emit all sorts of horrible ghastly pollution then you have to think about doing things like what we see on these kind of science fiction movies and 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 also in in sort of documentaries about what's being developed you know where you can maybe have a road that you can drive a car Mm. on which automatically charges the car you know roads Mm. which are you know sort of smart proper smart roads not just motorways where you get to use the hard shoulder but smart roads where you can change the direction of the of the arrows where you can mm. change the white lines you know all of that stuff which we could do but would cost a fortune um, but but it's the only way really to get to that point isn't it well yeah that that's absolutely true i mean there have been some pilots with these kind of roads yeah. with induction pads below and in formula e the electric grand prix series yeah. they do have some induction pads in the pits so you can drive an electric vehicle over the induction pad and it charges it Mm. so you know there are technological developments but to basically say that everyone should switch to this within 10 years or so is is totally impractical infeasible and and incredibly expensive as well that we all care about the environment we care about air quality but there's research that clearly says in our towns and cities it is about 10% of the vehicles that cause 50% of the problem. Yeah. And those tend to be the bigger trucks, the older buses, the older taxis that are badly serviced. So, you know, if we really care about air quality, let's target that 10%, mm. those gross polluters, get those off the road. Rather than saying to every individual who might have a family diesel people carrier that they've had for eight years because they can't afford another car and they bought it because the government at the time said that is a good dash for diesel because yeah. it's better for CO2. They've now changed the goalposts. And they're, they're saying to that family, change your car for an electric car, which they just can't afford. Mm. There isn't a diesel scrappage scheme out there. So it is totally unfair. And any change like this will take time. But, you know, the cars coming out, the petrol cars and the diesel cars, the Euro 6 cars are cleaner, are greener than they used to be. So we don't have to go totally electric overnight. It will take some time. Very much so. And also, is it not the case, and it's certainly true of some electric cars, that some electric cars have a larger uh, CO2 footprint anyway um, than diesel cars do in the first place? Well, if you take into account everything like the construction of the car... The, the, min, the, the battery. The battery, yeah, which takes coal, nickel, um, and and all those scarce resources so that there's a question there the other question is around the national grid you know if everyone switched on their car to charge at six in the evening the national grid couldn't cope so you need smart charging that cuts in 
overnight, mm. you know, when there's less demand on the grid. So th there's a lot of things that actually need to be done and can be done practically, but in time. We can't do this overnight, so it will take some time for it, for it to be developed and for it to be feasible. Yeah, well, apparently I'm told on Twitter that the Welsh government uh, in the Welsh Assembly has now apparently uh, uh, claimed that there is a climate emergency, and we've got one in Scotland now. I mean, the only mm. sort of slightly encouraging move this week was Michael Gove at least not agreeing to the demands of the Extinction Rebellion sort of Harry Potter squad that turned up. Well, yeah, it's, it's like all these things. If you set a target, you need to set... You, you you need to stick by it. So if the target's 2040, the manufacturers have to t have to have time. You can't just change designs of cars overnight. That's not the way it works. You know, it's a global industry. It's not just a Scottish industry or a Welsh industry or an English industry. And therefore, you do need time to change. You need time to develop the infrastructure um, to make to make it work. You can't just knee jerk these things, or it will totally backfire. No, quite right. And what about the, the, the situation regarding, um, you know, normal kind of expansion of roads? Because you've got, on the one hand, as you said, a lot of more, a lot more sort of commercial traffic because everybody's buying everything online. And nobody really thought what the effect of that would be. The effect of it is that there's an awful lot of trucks out there delivering goods to people in their homes. And they might not be going out shopping, but there's, but there's obviously some point at which that will reach you know, peak traffic point, and they'll have to do something about it. Well, indeed, because, you know, the traffic is changing and it is more the kind of vans, the smaller vans, the delivery things, and yeah. not just in town and city centres, you know, at people's residence. Yeah. There, there, there's home shopping, there's home deliveries, there's people buying more online. So that is causing congestion in different places. And again, that hasn't really been thought through. You know, we saw it during the Olympics where a kind of, semi uh, ban was was put on companies in london receiving deliveries for their staff during the day because mm. people were so worried about congestion and that showed that that did work for that period of the olympics but obviously once the olympics was over those deliveries came back so yeah again that is something that needs to be planned for so it's not necessarily motorway traffic that's mm. growing but it is the delivery traffic in our residential areas and urban areas and and again you know tech Technically, that's an area that should be addressed rather than just hitting individuals in their own little family car. No, quite. A couple of quick tweets, uh, mm. if I may uh, read out to you. One from Ray Mondo says, I tow a caravan. There is no electric vehicle that mm. can do this. Mm. What should I do? Well, that's a good well, question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a similar point that I was saying about the AA vans. Because of the weight, there isn't one available yet. So, again, you know, that... That will take time for that to be developed. And here's another one from Kevin. He says, if the environmental lobby get their way, what happens to our classic car movement? Which is also an interesting point. You, well, know? It, you won't be allowed yeah. to drive your Morgan and your mm. old MG out there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that certainly is a concern. You know, ultra-low emission areas, there's no way that these classic cars with their classic V8 engines um, could oblige. And, you know... You, you can take an E-type Jag and there are some out there where they've ripped out the heart of the Jag and put in an electric motor. But, you know, you'd question, is that a real E-type Jag? And right. shouldn't we be preserving some of our heritage for the future sure. rather than just wiping it out? No, exactly. I mean, I've, I've been looking at electric cars because I thought I quite fancy the idea of when people that have them mm. tell me they're brilliant, mm. they're very, very fast, they're very nippy, they're very quick, mm. and they're very luxurious because they, they tend to be at the sort of top end of the market. Um, but I've decided against getting one this year just because I don't think it's time yet. 
Um, and I don't think, as you say quite rightly, that the, the infrastructure is there um, for everybody to be able to charge their car yeah. at, at the point at which they want to do it. I mean, I think this, one of the solutions is and, and uh, is, is the halfway house. And I've actually got a plug-in hybrid, so I have got a charging point at home. Right. So all, all, all the journeys kind of close. Is it a, is it a charging point like a, like a post? or is it, or Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. But it's hidden. It's kind of hidden in the hedge, so you can't right. see it. It's not too ugly. But it's on my driveway, so I'm lucky enough to have a driveway. Right, okay. So I, I, I plug into that religiously every time I get home. You can actually set it so that the power comes on at night when it's cheaper. So for And how all, much does that put your electricity yeah, bill up? By? Well, for, for all the journeys close to home, pe- people say with these plug-in hybrids, they say, oh, it's pretty useless because the range is only 20 miles. Mm. But if you think of it another way, for all the journeys I do locally, taking the kids to the football or yeah. ice skating and all of those journeys, they are all done on pure electric. So right. there are no emissions. And actually, I've, I've got to say, I haven't noticed mm. it too, too much on the electricity okay. bills. So... You know, I do. I do feel plug-in hybrid is quite a good stepping stone because if if I then go to watch my beloved Norwich City up in Middlesbrough mm. and it's a long, long drive up there, and if I can't, well, you find, won't have to go there anymore, will you? Well, no, because we're in the Premiership <laughs> unless they get in on the playoffs. But right. we'll see. But what what it means have, having a electric hybrid? You know, if I can't find a charging point or a point that that's working, I can switch to. To petrol so at the moment it is the best of both right. worlds and, and one of the things i've well. noticed which i think is a good idea and i've seen in my street in in sort of southeast london is they've started to put little plugs and little blue lights onto the street lamps so you can plug yeah. now i don't know how that works but i assume that you can just plug your car into the street lamp and you get free electricity yeah uh, it, it will be questionable how long that will be free but yes it does work i mean the the only thing with some of those it does take longer to charge yeah. but, but then if you're doing it overnight mm. that that's not a problem right. so yeah i think we do need to look at things like like on street charging you know also at places like supermarkets that perhaps at night when no one's parked there if you, if you live in a tower block and therefore you haven't got individual charging you know can you get an agreement with the supermarket car park so that yeah. you can charge at night so there'll be lots of practical things that we will need to do you know if, if we were get, going to transition to zero emission yeah. vehicles yeah well i don't even know if that's possible but i certainly think we should not be doing it uh, just because a bunch of kids on a bridge have told us to do it that's my worry uh, thank you very much indeed edmund king president of the aa 0344 499 1000 lolly you want to talk about this because it's a very important issue not just because uh, the climate change stuff is very irritating to a lot of people but it's the way that the government uh, and the politicians appear to be embracing it just because they think it might make them a little bit more popular. It's disgraceful, in my view. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You can tweet us at Talk Radio. Matthew Wright coming up uh, after this show at 1 o'clock, of course, taking all the way through until 4. And then it's Eamon Holmes uh, as well. How about this from Andy? He says, the whole laughable climate emergency is all a cover distraction to take people's fury off of Brexit. Do they think we are stupid? The Mayor of London, I quote, says, extinction rebels are allies. Siege of London 2 coming soon. Well, they said yesterday, didn't they, that because they didn't get what they wanted from Michael Gove, that there would be more direct action. There would be more, presumably, lying down on the street and occupying bridges and uh, chaining yourself to things and gluing yourself to trains and all that. Nicola says, I bought a diesel car three years ago. Is the government going to subsidise me now to change it? Who pays for a charging point at my house? Full electric is useless until I can get to Devon or Cornwall without charging it. Well, these are all very valid points, and these are all things I'm sure that the Climate Change Committee inside of Parliament should be looking at rather than coming out with ridiculous statements like we're going to change the road system in this country, we're going to outlaw uh, all cars and vehicles charged uh, by diesel and petrol by 2030. Let's talk to Steve McCabe, who's Labour MP for Birmingham, Selly Oak, and uh, I know personally had one or two uh, robust exchanges with some of the climate change uh, characters uh, over the course of the occupation of London. Steve, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Unusual for me to be talking to you outside of the tent of shame. So apologies for not being able to do it uh, in person. But uh, I was, I was, um, I was. Well, my attention was drawn to some of your exchanges a couple of weeks ago with some of these uh, climate change nutters, as I call them, because you seem to be the voice of reason in this debate. Tell us uh, what you make of this latest thing, uh, where the climate change committee says let's do away with diesel and petrol cars in eleven years' time. Well. Look, I think my bottom line would be I do believe that climate change should be treated seriously. Mm. And I think we have all got to work together to try and address that. So the question then is how fair and equitable are the approaches you adopt? Now, I'm not against the people saying they want to get rid of diesel cars, although actually at the moment, if you look at the new clean diesel engines, that Jaguar Land Rover are producing, for example, they're probably cleaner than the average petrol car on the road. So, I mean, I think we use these terms a bit glibly. And, you know, the point, quite rightly, is if we're going to ask people to give things like that up, just like if we're going to ask them to give up, uh, you know, gas boilers, um, which I think about 90% of households in the UK have probably got a gas boiler at the moment, then we're going to have to find some way of compensating people. Otherwise, um, 
very rich people are going to be able to parade their kind of climate change credentials at the expense of very poor people. Well, it's like all these people that say, you know, let's put up the price of flying so that people can't fly. Again, that will be the effect, won't it, Steve? You'll end up having lots of rich people going on holiday and lots of people who aren't as rich not being able to afford to. Well, I'm a bit worried about that. I mean, as you know, I got into uh, a little bit of an argument for commenting on Emma Thompson flying yes. uh, during the protest. Well, how ridiculous I mean, the point, was that? The point I was making there was that, you know, they say that they want to really seriously restrict flying. That's fair enough. I can understand why they say that. But, I mean, at the same time, and they simultaneously say, but, of course, you know, we have no option at the moment. But, actually, the carbon footprint of someone who flies business class is three times that of someone who flies economy. So they're not entirely without options. And I think that one of my criticisms is, as I say, I support the arguments that we've got to try and address this problem are not dismissive of climate change as an issue. But I think there is a slightly authoritarian and sanctimonious tone to some of those who know much better than the rest of us what's good for us. Yeah. And some of those what does that remind you know. of? What does that remind you of, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, I think there's a rather sanctimonious and authoritarian tone attached to some of it. And it seems to be from people who can afford to to have those views. Um, you know, if you take uh, my area of Birmingham mm. at the moment, they're just about to, I think it's next year, the council are going to introduce a clean air zone uh, to restrict cars of a certain age going right. into the city centre. Now we can all understand that. The government's told them they've got to do it. But the effect will be that the people with the newest, who can afford the newest cars will get off lighter. Right. And the people who are struggling to go to work who can only afford the older cars will pay the heaviest penalty. As now, as I will think... some of the independent sort of sole trader guys who have got a bit of an old van that they drive around in, but they need the van to do the work that they do. Yeah, people like that, taxi drivers. I mean, there will be lots of people mm. who will be hit. Now, I say, yes, of course we should do this, but we should set realistic targets. I mean, I think that I personally... I think the 2050 targets are not unrealistic. I know that lots of people want to tell me that it has to move faster. But my argument is, well, it has to move faster across the world Yes, if that's the case. And we cannot just simply say nothing has happened in this country because I don't think that's fair or true. And we cannot say, oh, it will be all right for those who can afford it, but tough on those who can't. And I think that is my my concern at the moment. Mm. I think the danger of people who are comfortably off telling everyone else what's going to be good for them does not strike me as the best way to persuade the general public or the wider public that there are things that have to be done. No, but of course the Labour Party is about to introduce sometime today, I believe, into Parliament today, the uh, the climate change emergency debate. So, I mean, I don't know whether you're going to be able to take part in that, Steve. I hope you can, because I hope that you can sort of influence some of the people in there who seem to be sort of uh, champing at the bit, you know, to latch on to any kind of bandwagon that they can in order to look a little bit more popular. Well, I mean, I think the... the, the I don't have a problem with the Labour having this debate. I don't have a problem with Labour saying that there is an emergency. As I've said, I, I'm supportive of this. But and there I isn't, though. Think 
Is there, mm-hmm. is there an emergency? I mean, I call an emergency something that needs to be solved immediately. And this does not need to be solved immediately. You've just said it needs to be looked at and we are looking at it and it needs to be uh, considered. And whatever we do, we have to do in conjunction with lots of other people. That doesn't sound like an emergency to me. Well, it, it, it's an emergency if you know that something is a developing problem and people are continuing to say we can ignore it all together and... Uh, and it's only going to get worse if we continue to ignore it. I, I interpret that as what people mean. But, of course, people's definition of what is a climate emergency yeah. uh, uh, is not the same. And some people have very, uh, I'll concede, have very different views. Well, as I say, I don't have a problem with saying that we've got to take action. I think there's a really good argument for saying in this country that... Um, you could create new green jobs. I'm absolutely in favour of that. But, of course, you have to weigh up the other jobs that could be at risk as well if you move too fast the jobs in agriculture, the, the jobs in house building. I mean, I think uh, cement production accounts for about 8% of global CO2 emissions. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, on the one hand, we say in this country we want house building and on the other hand, people are saying you've got to stop making cement. <laughs> you can't have both. Well, you can make houses out of wood, I suppose. But here's the <laughs> other thing, Steve. I find it I find it quite offensive, though, that a lot of these climate change people say we're not doing anything, we're ignoring it. We're not ignoring it. You know, I pay through the nose every time I put anything into my car, which is a diesel uh, or a petrol car. I pay through the nose every time I fly anywhere. I pay a surcharge on my electricity bill uh, to, the, to, to, to the green um, uh, sort of lobby because because that's what we're told to do. You know, there's massive things that we've all done. We've all recycled now. You know, the idea that we're doing nothing is a nonsense. Yeah, well, as I say, I don't think, I personally don't think it helps the argument, and I don't think it helps bring the wider public uh, into the argument if you start from saying you're doing nothing. I think the people who are saying that, they're the proselytizers who can't afford to be they may be at the forefront. I mean, I did look, and I, I hope the, no doubt I'll be unpopular again for saying this, but I did look quite a lot at those photographs that were published of the protesters. I mean, they, they wouldn't have been out of place at Glastonbury. It looked like a very kind of white... Well, you got yourself into trouble by... Well, you got yourself into trouble by pointing out that they all had lots of uh, plastic bottles, didn't they? Well, I, I did see the one photograph. I, I noticed it was quickly withdrawn, but the photograph originally of the people outside Jeremy Corbyn's house had about four or five plastic bottles. Yeah. I simply queried where they'd come from. Right. And I was told that, you know, I was sort of picking on them and distracting. But actually, you know, um, decomposing plastic, polythene in particular, does give off gas. And it is, a, it is a contributor. And I'm quite surprised that people wouldn't want to acknowledge that. I'm not saying we can all be super good and virtuous. And I'm certainly the last person who is capable of that. But what I am saying is if we want to get this to work, you have to have people working on a global basis. You have to recognise a bit about fairness, about those who are in a better position to afford to change than others. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many people could tomorrow give up entirely on dairy products or meat. Some people could. Others would find that much more difficult. And you have to show a little bit of dignity in your own behaviour, uh, it's a bit rich to say 
do what I see, not what I do. Exactly right. No, you're absolutely right, Steve. I totally agree with you. Thank you so much for being the voice of common sense on this. Steve McCabe, uh, Labour MP for Birmingham, Sellio, Labour introducing a climate change emergency debate today uh, in the Houses of Parliament. It's not an emergency, people. I'm, I'm telling you, I do words for a living. That's what I've done all my life. I used to write them, now I speak them. And emergency, we are not in, I can tell you. Mike uh, is in York. Hello, Mike. Oh, good afternoon, Mike. Good How afternoon. Are you? I'm very well. How's it going? Fine, fine. Beautiful day. As it always. is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, happy May Day to you. You should be out there marching about with a banner, shouldn't you? Yeah, Brexit soonest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. What do you want to say? Well, I've been listening to these conservationists and uh, environmentalists. Oh yeah. And I'm a bit of a twitcher. I'm in the British Trust of Ornithology. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. And there seems to be a complete lack now of migrating birds simply because you've got a bank of windmills in the North Sea mm. that is the best effective barrier preventing them to come into this country. Are they are they not coming or are they coming and getting chopped to pieces? They're getting chopped to pieces. Are they? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the estimate for the UK is roughly 100,000. Wow. And the estimate for America, the USA, how they get these figures, don't know. But is eight hundred thousand. Wouldn't but, the American birds be coming in from the west, though? Well, like to say, because I just concentrate on the UK. Yeah, yeah. But what I can say, in front of a load of twitchers on the Isle of Arris, yeah, was a very extremely rare bird called a white-throated needletail. Okay. And in June thirteenth, so all you environmentalists can read this up, in front of all the twitchers, in front of cameras, it was slaughtered by a. Uh, one of the uh, so-called wind farm blades. Really? Right. You couldn't make it up. No. No, because it must be very dangerous. I mean, I presume that whenever there's wind farms on the on the land as well, it's pretty dangerous, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, out uh, um, bets near Rochdale, there's yeah. a bank of them there. Mm. And when I were a kid, we used to go up to a North Hill, it was called, and, you know, kind of could hear all the bird life. Can't anymore. <laughs> no. They've all disappeared. But can I just ask one other thing? What nobody seems... They're all talking about wind farms which produce electric. Yeah. But I don't know about anybody else's, but mine's a gas central eating. Anybody got any ideas on that one yet? Well, I mean, already they're talking about you doing away with your gas boiler. If, it, if, it, if, it, if it's one of those combi boilers, which does your central heating and your hot water, you know, they want you to get rid of that. And, and do what? Uh, I don't know. That's the bit I can't uh, answer because I think they'd like you to just go back to the Stone Age. Well, we can't have sheep and we can't have cattle because they produce too much methane. Well, exactly. So there seems to be there seems to be a lot of negatives, but none of yeah. these negative well, people. This is the thing. Come up with a positive. Well, this is the point. You know, the fact that people are listening uh, to these people who don't have any answers but just have a load of problems to present is is the biggest problem of all. That is that is why I don't believe we should be listening to them. They're not giving us any you know um, answers. They're saying, oh, we well, just can't do that anymore. You can't burn, you can't have a wood-burning stove, you can't have a, a gas-burning boiler, you can't have a car, you can't fly anywhere. You know, it's absolutely and utterly ridiculous, Mike. Well, thank you very much for your call, though, 0344 499 1000. And if you are an environmentalist and a climate change activist, what have you got to say about killing all the birds, as Mike just said? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.